Welcome to the New Zionist Podcast, a brand new show from the New Zionist Congress. I'm Noah Shufatinsky. I'm your co-host, Isabella Hazan. And I'm Blake Flayton. We're your three hosts, and we're here to offer a new, young, and authentic take on all things Zionism, Jewish culture, Israel, and politics. This week, we'll be discussing the history of Jewish food, the latest drama between Israel and Palestinian Authority, and much more. But first, what is New Zionist Congress? We at NZC are here to build a space where young people can meet to discuss their passion for Jewish self-determination, learn about Jewish history, Israeli history, and contemporary Jewish issues. In the name of every Jew who has ever lit a candle in the darkness, we're here to build a bonfire. So join our community of empowered young Judeans and make sure to please follow us on Twitter at New Zionist and on Instagram at New Zionist Congress. And make sure to sign up and become an official member at NewZionist.org. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, I hold Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gonna take it. So before we start, we need to say a few words about the humanitarian crisis in Miami. A building collapsed, leaving many people dead, injured, and still unfound. And among the communities affected was the Jewish community, with many people from the Ball Harbor Shoal. Please consider donating to the Ball Harbor's emergency fund. The link is going to be in our description. And if you can, please read some Tehillim. Yeah, I saw this week uh, that the IDF actually sent a legion over uh, to assist with the search parties. Uh, It was... I mean, it's been a devastating week. It's been a horrible week to read the dispatches by Jewish journalists who are writing about the Shabbat services uh, that are happening down there, to speak with Isaac, the co-founder of New Zionist Congress, who is from Bal Harbor, Florida, who lives in Bal Harbor, Florida. This happened not too far away from his home. Uh, There was a student, uh, a GW student, a Jewish student, uh, who is, I believe, still among the missing. Um, It's just really devastating. So please keep the victims, those injured, those hurt, uh, those still missing in your prayers, uh, a large percentage of them being Jewish members of the community. Yeah, it's, it's been really horrible. And just like you said, Blake and Isabella, really difficult to see this news. And yeah, it's important to keep these people in your thoughts and your prayers and uh, and to respect the people who are grieving. You guys... It is hot. Mamash. <laughs> I feel you, and I'm in Canada. It is hot, and I can't go on like this. I just can't do it. First of all, I don't have air conditioning in my apartment. Why do I not have air conditioning in my apartment? Because I keep on trying to rationalize why I don't need to spend the money to buy a wall unit, because they are, in fact, expensive. And I, as we have stated multiple times on this show, am stretching a buck living in New York. And I just, it's so funny because I'm such a hypocrite because I won't buy an air conditioning wall unit, but then I will spend upwards of $500 on food and drink throughout the entire week because I want to go out because I deserve to have some fun. But and, That makes sense though. Yeah, but it doesn't make I sense. I understand your logic. Yeah. I'm as a ball and on a budget too. Exactly. But it doesn't make sense when I uh, am needing to go to sleep. I'm needing to sleep and I have to sleep with this here fan on my face like this close to my head. Um, but that's just my, uh, you know, privileged struggles. How, how are the rest of you doing? Pretty good. It's very hot here too. 
Um, I'm definitely having to adjust my workout schedule just earlier and earlier and earlier throughout the day. Like I used to be, if I was tired, be like, all right, we could push it to like seven or eight. But now even at 7 a.m., the sun is already too high. It's already too hot. I'm like, all right, six o'clock sharp. I got to be up and ready to go. What is your workout routine, Noah? Honestly, it's nothing crazy. It's uh, three times a week I go for like a run through like around the neighborhood and then also like on these trails and these hills that are like also like in my area and then end on the beach and then I do push-ups there and then I do like a little hike back. And then the days when I don't do that, besides like Shabbat, like the weekend, um, so like the two other days I just go for like a hike, like an hour and a half. That's amazing. The only thing I run is my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's… It's a problem. But anyways, anyways. <laughs> speaking of running and running my mouth, I had an amazing life today with Grisha. I know Noah, you know him. Do you know him, Blake? Mm-mm. Who is he? He's a Mideast expert. He was on a fellowship that we did. He was the former mayor of Gaza. He has a company now in the West Bank. He deals with Palestinians daily. Um, he's incredible. Like He's the one who negotiates many of the deals between Israel and the PA. Um, he's a former um, IDF uh, colonel. Like, really, he was great. So informative. Like, that was very fun. Oh, great. What did you guys talk about? You did it on Instagram Live. Mm-hmm. We spoke about the last round of violence, the escalation. And he really got into the intricacies of what's going on, who benefits, how Hamas makes money, how Hamas taxes, everything that goes in, the Egypt border. Like, he really went in depth. And I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I have a easier time connecting with Palestinians who are on the ground or who are from Gaza or from the West Bank or really in Israel than those on campus. Absolutely. Is that- 100% absolutely. Which is a weird paradigm that I think people would probably need some explanation. And I don't have the explanation just right offhand. But people who are living in the region who this conflict, the politics of this, of this issue are their daily lives are so much more approachable and are easy to speak with and are better to learn from and to have conversations And compassionate and, com- and have empathy. And also are no bullshit people. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it really is also, just like you say, people on the ground. You either agree with them or disagree with them, and you can have conversations about that because they're on the ground, they're living it, versus people who try to bring in all kinds of other topics that aren't even related and pin scapegoat people for them. It's also just not as political. My hairdresser in Israel is Palestinian and we just vibe. The person who does my eyebrows, like I was in class with Palestinians. We were friends. And there wasn't this anti-normalization like we see on campus. Like the cartoon resolution is literally brought to American and Canadian universities. When it's not in the Middle East anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. I was just going to say, like you get people here who are concerned about it because there's like backlash for citizens and, and people who live in different areas different territories as far as like the normalization but a lot of that also is like there's it's not necessarily their choice it's the fact that they're not able to go like to certain events and meet with certain israeli groups of people because they'll be harassed by their own government for it it's not like something that people are choosing to take up in some crazy bds resolution what if we told the late great david ben gorion that Israel in 2021 has a better relationship with the United Arab Emirates than they do with the New York City Democratic Socialist of America chapter. (laughs) He'd be like, What a time. He'd be like, Ma? (laughs) (laughs) No, Evanti. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. 
Here at NZC, we love celebrating important and inspiring Jews and allies, but we also have to throw shade where shade is due. We call this segment our Himans and Habibis of the Week. Our Habibis are people who we admire and who we feel should be highlighted for their work in activism. Your homegirls want to meet me, they like Our Himans, however, are people who are working against the common goals of the Jewish people. They're canceled, and we'd love for them to just shut up and go away. So my Haman of the Week is the Palestinian Authority and all those who co-opt the Palestinian struggle as a means to be anti-Semitic. The Palestinian Authority murdered an outspoken Palestinian activist on the ground in Izar Banat. I haven't heard any of my friends or any of my followers or any of these spaces call this out. The murder of Nizar Banat matters, and it's important for us to talk about it because he was a critical thinker. He was critical of the PA, and after uh, Mahmoud Abbas's government took him into custody, they beat him viciously. And what's even crazier for me, like I actually saw a couple people shed light on it, and the way that, like, this, I've seen almost, like you said, like almost no one who was out here sit, like sharing the crazy infographics during the last uh, round of fighting say anything about this. And the couple people who I did were saying things like, oh, look at the PA. It's Israel's puppet <laughs> doing Israel's bidding. But I was like, what? Zero agency. They give, they give Palestinians zero agency. So my Habibi of the week is Ashagar Araro for standing up against Al Jazeera, AJ Plus's racist piece against her. And an attack against a Jewish woman is an attack against all of us. The racist piece said that Ashagar was um, a token for her video about Zionism. She made a video called, like, My Zionism. And she's an Ethiopian Israeli woman, an Ethiopian Jewish Israeli woman. And she posts about these things very often. And she does amazing work within her community on the ground in Israel. And she showcases many Ethiopian stories. And for um, a writer who knows nothing about the Ethiopian Jewish community to come in and say that Ethiopian Jews aren't Zionist, it's not only absurd, but it also clearly shows ignorance and intended ignorance. There's a holiday called Sikh that is unique to Ethiopian Jews that literally is, it is a very Zionist holiday. It is a holiday 50 days after Yom Kippur where um, Ethiopian Jews fast and atone because they believe that you, know, you have to be good in order to get it to, into the land of Israel in order to get to Eretz Israel. And Ethiopian Jews, like every other Jewish group in the diaspora, yearn to return to Zion, yearn to return to, to Jerusalem. And uh, I can't think of a more Zionist uh, holiday than that. My Habibi is a Shagar for standing up. And she, you know, she didn't give them the time of day. She posted about it. She, she was funny about it. And um, I think that's how we should be and how we should react to hate. And I think the most important part of that to get across is these, this script always runs a certain way. It's always that the Mizrahim are the pawns of the Zionists. No, the Mizrahim <laughs> are the Zionists. It's <laughs> always much. the Ethiopians are the pawns of the Zionists. No, the Ethiopians are the Zionists. The gays are the pawns of the Zionists. <laughs> no. The gays <laughs> are the it. Zionists. The gays <laughs> are the Zionists. And you may quote me on that. <laughs> For real though, like Make, we are the sense. Zionists. Yeah. But you know what? It's almost like anti-Zionist. I like I really like that quote that you shared on your story on how the anti-Semite could be playful. And it, that was such a solid quote. I, I it spoke to me so much. Yeah. It's uh it's Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Sartre. Never believe that anti-Semites are completely unaware of the absurdity of their replies. 
They know that their remarks are frivolous, open to challenge, but they are amusing themselves, for it is their adversary who is obliged to use words responsibly, since he believes in words. How did you have that on hand? Because First I'm of all. Me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, w- I was like, oh, maybe I'll give him some no. time. <laughs> because I'm it's right next to his adjectives list. Come on. Exactly right. Did you know about mustard's ancient origins in Jewish cuisine? So there's this article that I read on tablet by Edie Jerilim, uh, and it explains, it, the title of the article is How Mustard Became the King of Jewish Condiments. Um, and I actually had never heard anything about this before. Um, so apparently, you know, it, it doesn't appear in the Tanakh, but in the Talmud, it, it appears more than 200 times, the word mustard. Um, and it's wow. apparently described as the malachim, the angels or messengers, um, who came to inform Abraham that Yaakov was born, uh, were fed mustard. And <laughs> this is just something that I had absolutely oh no God. idea existed. So first I wanted to ask if either of you have ever heard of this. Because if you have, if this is some knowledge that I missed, I'll officially like forfeit my Judaic studies degree. No, you're teaching no, us I something haven't. for sure. But also I've been told by many a Jew that only ketchup belongs on hamburgers and only mustard belongs on hot dogs. So I don't know. <laughs> I might have some disagreement with that as in natural. Uh, we'll Jewish get into fashion. it. We'll get into it. <laughs> but um, more on that later. Yeah, I, I just thought it was super interesting. So I mean, mustard, the cultivation of mustard goes back like six thousand years. It's been found from China to Egypt. But apparently it was the Romans who popularized actually making the seeds into like a liquid sauce. So I guess this is another version of it was Rome making a resurgence uh, (laughs) this week. Um, But I think it's also interesting because that kind of explains why, um, you know, the time that the Talmud was composed was post-Roman occupation of uh, Judea. So it kind of explains how some of that reference to, you know, mustard being like some revered... um, condiment food and that's why it was given to these malachim it it makes sense it lines up with history um but i I just thought it was kind of interesting because it shows how something that's so particular to a specific jewish community like at least how i associate it and also something that's so general that's enjoyed throughout the world um has sort of an interesting connection to jewish history like who would have known that mustard is mentioned in the talmud and that even abraham uh was in possession of mustard as something that was like a a gift super do we know why mustard was mentioned in the Talmud so many times? Yeah, so from actually from Sarah Weingarten, who's a, a historian who was cited in the article, um, basically what it says is at the time, a lot of the food there was bread and was bland. So what better way to spice it up than adding some mustard? And it was also kind of seen as a delicacy because uh, it wasn't necessarily super common. So it was one way of uh, demonstrating like status or reverence. So that also kind of lines up with that um, aspect of the Talmud that describes the interaction between Abraham and the Malachim or the angels or messengers um, because, you know, these are, you know, figures of high status and what better way to distinguish them than to give them um, something that's such a delicacy. So I think that's also kind of interesting. I'm looking at the Hebrew word for mustard right now. Is it chordel? Chordal? Chordel? Honestly, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you <laughs> off the top. I read the article and found out about it, but I don't think there's ever been a time in Israel that I've ordered mustard. Let's see. Mustard. Oh, that's in English. <laughs> I don't really get it. <laughs> mustard. No, I want it in Hebrew. <laughs> Let's see. Damn it. 
That's so cool. <laughs> we learned how to speak Hebrew today. But it, you know what's actually interesting about this mustard segment? Is that a lot of words in Hebrew, like shampoo, are translated just to shampoo, you know? But mustard is an ancient word. So like khardal or khardal, however you say it, has stayed. And it's continuous because it's literally in the Talmud. Yeah. It's also cool. For me, like I'm a complete Judaic studies nerd. If you didn't know from my degree. <laughs> but, like for me, I'm... Like, this is crazy. Even the smallest things that have these connections. I just think it's interesting because it shows how something that's like part of, you know, a Jewish community and a Jewish culture. And for all we know, like the reason we have mustard and delis has nothing to do with this, like in the Talmud. It's, I mean, it's a pretty common thing. Um, but it's cool to see like those ancient roots. And it's also just good knowledge to have about Jewish traditions. And uh, yeah, so... Next time you're on a shiruch date and you run out of things to talk about, you know, your pre-tuba of shiruch date, you can bring up this mustard knowledge. Love it. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. The parasha of this week is Parashat Pinchas. And the message in Parashat Pinchas is the idea of acting out alone for the better of our community, even if it is difficult. And we can take inspiration from Pinchas. There's also a feminist uh, element to this week's Torah portion that I want to talk about later. So Pinchas killed Prince, Princess and Prince Zimri and Kazmiya Medanite. The reason Pinchas killed them was because they were destroying the Jewish people and creating a rupture in the Jewish community. Pinchas was one person against everyone. People did not agree with his decision, but Pinchas knew he couldn't sit around and he acted despite the fact that he didn't have the approval from the majority. But first he checked with Moshe and Moshe agreed. And since Pinchas came up with this idea and brought it up to Moshe, Pinchas said that you should go ahead and do it and save the Jewish people from disaster. Pinchas's uh, chances of success were very minimal and he was really just following the example of the first Jew, Avram, going against the grain. Avram was the first Jew to say, uh, the first person to say that there is one God. And uh, I think we can take inspiration from Pinchas, from Avram Avinu, that even if we go against the grain and we have that gut feeling, we should go ahead and do it. So also another aspect of this week's Torah portion in Parashat Pinchas talks about the laws of inheritance. And Moses was instructed on how the land, Eretz Yisrael, was to be divided. And Hashem said that we're going to divide the land by lottery between the tribes of Israel and the, and the families of Israel. So there are five daughters, the daughters of Selafchad. Their father died without sons. And they petitioned Moses that they wanted to be granted a portion of the land that was belonging to their father. And God accepts this claim and incorporates it into the laws of inheritance in the Torah. Yeah, I actually remember learning about this in one of my classes. For No way you learned about this? I didn't. Um, I was, yeah. First time I was hearing about the laws of inheritance and, uh, and this. Yeah, we actually uh, we learned about it one time because we were talking about different parts of the Torah and the Tanakh. Um, in regards to, like, gender equality and how a lot of times, you know, obviously, like, there are examples where it's not present um, in the stories that are, like, covered and how this was actually, like, there are different books and different sections, uh, especially pertaining to the laws of inheritance that offer parts about, like, gender equality and equity and equal rights for women with the laws of inheritance. Right, and I did um, bat mitzvah classes back in the day and I remember learning so much about Jewish women in the Torah, and it's not really spoken about enough. Definitely needs to be talked about more, the role of women in the, throughout the Tanakh. Yeah, I like that. Well, everyone, 
I'm just here to let you know that there's, we discussed that there's a heat wave across the country right now, and in fact, across the world right now. The Pope, okay, wears those long gowns. He, he wears a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of sweaty stuff. He's gotta be not on his guard right now. He's gotta be distracted. People are getting him water, people are getting him wine. You know, they have fans. This is not a great time to be in the Vatican right now with all of those, you know, long draperies, the full regalia. It is, is it not a perfect time to Naruto run into the basement? We get as many Jews as possible. Like storm in, like like Rocky up the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum <laughs> to take back the menorah, which is ours. I'm ready if you guys are ready. Tune in next week for to hear to hear the tea of how we're doing. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at New Zionist Congress, on Twitter at New Zionists. And please make sure to sign up to become an official member of our organization at newzionists.org. That's newzionistsplural.org. All right, peace out. Bye, everyone. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, of whole Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gon' take it.